bring us to a place to be ready for you, to be ready to hear your word, to receive your spirit, and to go together hand in hand, arm in arm, side by side, showing love to the world, Father. In this we pray. Amen. I did not uh, anticipate that, Janine. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> uh, I titled the message today, The Empty Toolbox. And something you hit on when you shared, Janine, just about COVID and challenges and some of these things, it, it just fits so well with what I wanted to convey about that frustration that we can feel when we have received conviction and, and, and passion, but we have no opportunity to take action and, and how that leads to frustration. And I wanted to share with you guys a story about a challenge that was issued to me um, the challenge, as it were, that has so much shaped the li my life and the, and the lives of our family in the last couple of years. Um, some of you know that I have, uh, um, I have the, the chance to travel down to the Dells uh, every so often and work with my father doing discipleship training and some stuff like that with uh, some of the folks down in the Dells at Bella Goose, which is a uh, a ministry that we support in addition to having their coffee in the back. And um, <clears throat> a couple years ago, I went, to, uh, I went to Thailand and to the Philippines. Uh, excuse me, the, the first trip was just to the Philippines. So a couple years ago, I went to the Philippines. And uh, I was issued a challenge about two weeks before I left. Uh, ironically, the Philippines itself, that, that story has nothing to do with the actual challenge. The challenge I was issued was a challenge that it was issued by my wife. So I want to give you just a brief history of where that came from. Um, so we started doing uh, foster care some years back. And early on, I had a very strong desire to help those that would come into the home, uh, to love them. Uh, but I also, had a, I also had it a little twisted. I wanted, I wanted to help. I wanted to fix them. And, and it became my desire to help and to fix. And uh, I, was, I was shown the error of that, of that perspective. And the cost of that lesson for me was very deep, was very painful. And uh, there was a long time where we limited uh, the way that we served to, to shorter terms and shorter increments. Frequently, that's the question that I get most often. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could say goodbye or let go. Um, and to be honest with you, for a long time, I was at a point where I didn't know that I could either anymore. And I had put too much of myself into it. And uh, so two weeks before I left for for the Philippines for the first time for about 10 days, my wife shared something with me. And we'd had this conversation a number of times. She had a desire to get back into foster care and I did not have that desire. In fact, I specifically had not that desire. And I had told her that a couple of times. And so she, you know, was very decent about it, was very nice about it. Um, but it kept coming up and then it would, you know, then we wouldn't talk about it for a month or two and, and so on. And uh, I remember one morning, uh, about two weeks before I left, she was walking out the door, and she said, by the way, <coughs> um, I still would really like to 
go back into foster care. And I said, babe, you know how I feel about this one? I can't do it. And she said, I know. I'm not, I'm not saying easy to. She said, but uh, my prayer is that God would either change your heart or he would change mine. And as a man, when your wife tells you that, that that's a sign. And I thought, okay. I don't think God's going to change my heart on it because I don't want him to. It kind of sounds like Jonah maybe a little bit there. Um, and, uh, and so she went. And, and, and to be fair, I, I did pray about it. I did consider it. I wouldn't say that I really bent my whole, my whole person on focusing on that, but it was a prayer I had. I said, God, you know, change my heart or change hers. And that's the prayer that I had. And I'm, I'm in the Philippines, and I'm walking on, uh, on the walking street, and, uh, which is a place where, you know, trafficking exists. In fact, it's commoditized. It's, it's a thriving part of their economy, unfortunately. And as I'm walking through, I stick out a great deal in the Philippines. I saw, I saw two other beards in the Philippines, and one of them was limited to a very large mole. And so, so I mean, I stick out for that regard anyway, obviously, the color of my skin. Also, I happen to be a, a fair bit taller than the majority of Filipinos that are living there. So I stick out, you know, pretty easily. And so uh, the kids that were the most drawn to me, I found, were actually the, the, the street children, those that lived, um, those that lived, uh, on the street that had no place. Uh, and I think par- partially because I think they maybe just couldn't help themselves. I'm not really sure. And as we were walking down the walking street, as it's called, um, as we're walking, I just kept seeing these faces and these faces and these faces and these faces. And they wanted to come and they wanted to talk and they wanted to touch. And they kept on running their hands through a beard, which dirty children's hands living on the street through your face hair is not a comfortable experience. And for some reason, I just couldn't tell them no. And I found myself just, like, wondering, like, what am I doing here? Because it, it dawned on me that actually I could come back home and I could fundraise and I could, I could get a million dollars or $10 million and I could bring it back over to the Philippines and I could, I could make it so that little one and that little one and that little one so I wouldn't have to see these children suffer anymore and I could, I could, I could bring them to a place and help them to get a meal and get, get stable housing and all these things. And then uh, God spoke, not, not audibly, um, but gave me this impression to say that even if I did that, that would not change their eternity. Giving them a meal wouldn't change their future. It wouldn't change their soul. And then it dawned on me that even if that happened, when that dirty face left, there would be a new dirty face. And still that person's face, that person's soul would not be changed. And I thought, God, why would you bring me to this place of brokenness, seeing all of the needs, seeing the people that need you so much and so much more? Why would you bring them to me or bring me here And then say, they're not for you. Because that's what I heard. I heard God, again, not audibly, but I heard him say, these are not for you. These children are not for you. I said, God, why why would you bring me here and show me this? And then I heard him say, there are children for you. And they're back home. (laughs) You can guess what happened um, after that. And so, Immediately, I went back to the room uh, that I was sharing with my parents at the time, and, and I, I hopped online, and I said, babe, I said, you got to, you know, we need to come back. And I said, you know why, and I'll tell you why later. God issues us challenges. And it's our job to do something with them. Now, I called this, this message, the title, The Empty Toolbox, because Having a challenge and then having the tool to fix that challenge, that's not much of a challenge, is it? I need to go to the store and hop in the car, 
go to the store, right? The issue isn't the challenges we get. The issue is brokenness. When's the last time that you were broken? Where you looked at the challenge and you turned around and your toolbox was empty. You had no emotional energy, you had no monetary funds, whatever the case was, you turned around and you looked and you found you had nothing to give except for this frustration, this building mounting frustration, this inability and in just the impossible nature of the task that was set ahead of you. We are meant to be broken. We're built for it. And the reason I say that is because God is waiting for us to bring him our brokenness. It is in those moments that he heals, in those moments that he revitalizes and he brings about in us a new life. And I don't want you to just take my word for it. So that's part of what we're going to do today is look a little bit at how God does that. But um, before I forget, I want to share with you uh, a lot of the information, at least as far as the organization of some of these scriptures, is actually not my own personal doing. Um, there's a guy, his name is Eric Ludi. Um, he's a pastor, among other things, author, some other things out in Colorado. And, and uh, a Bible study that, that we've been doing lately has been using a lot of his sermons and his material. So this is taken, uh, some of this information is taken from a sermon that he's done. It's called The Two-Sided Ticket. Um, I'm going to share another story that's taken from that sermon later. I just wanted to, to give um, appropriate recognition to that fact. So, what do we do? What do we do with our brokenness? What do we do when we have a problem that we cannot fix? The Bible does a really neat job of showing us the relationship that we have with our Father and, he, and it uses oftentimes the analogy of the earthly relationship that fathers and, and have with their children. So I want to point your attention to a couple of scripture verses. I'm going to go through them. They're going to be right up here. Um, and then we're going to kind of come back to it a little bit. Uh, so if you kind of join me in looking at these things. Um, the first one being uh, Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. I mean, the ask here is prayer, right? Is prayer. So, if this is true, then that means that what we need when our toolbox is empty is for it to be filled. How can we do that? And we're told that we need to ask. Matthew 21, 22. And whatever you ask in prayer... You will, you will receive if you have faith. Well, this is interesting because it turns out that when we ask in faith, we're given what we need. Okay? Uh, John eleven twenty two. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Well, how come, how come my toolbox is so empty? How come I feel like what I need I don't have? Well, maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Let's keep going. Uh, John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Oh, okay, that, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay, so here's a little extra direction, right? I can't just ask for anything I want. If my kids come up and say, I want candy, I'm just going to tell them, sure, whatever you want. Now, there's a time and a place for candy, right? Well, I mean, I guess in our house there is. <laughs> 
Maybe that time is too frequently, but oh, okay. Um, but so some, here's addition, some additional direction, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Uh, John 14, 14, so the following verse. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Oh, okay. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Does anybody else kind of wonder how come it is that all I'm reading about prayer here is telling me about all the things that I'm going to be given? I mean, where's the no? Where's the you can't have that? Where's the don't touch or this isn't for you? How about to the next one, John 16, 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 16.24. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. How? How can that be true? Is this saying that you've never prayed before? Is that, is that what we're being told here? Is, well, you've never actually prayed, but then when you finally start praying that whatever you pray for, you're going to get. Or instead, is it because you've never asked for anything in my name? Have you guys ever heard of that expression, you don't know what you don't know until you find out about it or until you know it? As, as a young guy growing up, um, I've shared with you before, I have ADHD. It's something that I didn't know about in high school. I kind of vaguely maybe thought about in college, but it wasn't until I was like 28 that I really started looking into that and what that is. Um, early on, I, I, was, I was pretty embarrassed about it, um, about the things that I felt like I couldn't do, and that's just a label that people put on why I couldn't do certain things, right? Um, but I remember, uh, <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing, I guess, um, but I, I was playing at a football game, and uh, I was playing uh, running back at the time, and, and sometimes the coach will send in the play with the running back, right? And so coach says, here's the play. I said, okay, ready, ready. Now, I knew what I was supposed to do. I, I, never, I never failed to understand my role or my job in the scheme of football, so that wasn't the problem. There was a tiny bit of a problem, though, because in the time of running from the huddle, or from the sideline, into the huddle, I had completely forgotten the play. Now, if you know me, you know that I really care for, for football. Like, that's a, it was a thing that was big to me. How could somebody forget, in a matter of steps, what the coach told them to do? And, and one of the constant criticisms that I received was, well, if you really cared, well, then you'd do it. And I can tell you right now, there's not a whole lot that I cared for more than football at that moment in my life. And that's, I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you the reality. So soon after this, you know, after the game, I had gotten benched. Um, I was very frustrated. Uh, I was very frustrated. And, and soon after this, we were riding in, in the vehicle on the way home. And I mentioned to my dad. I said, Dad, um, when, when, do, when do we get to, like, use the lessons that we learn? You know, because, of course, his response, when I had said this, when I shared this with him, his response was, hey, bud, we got to learn from these things. Like, it's okay, so, we, so we have to, maybe we have to find a different way to do that, right? Rather than beating our heads against the wall, we're going to try something new, right? Good, good wisdom, like there's nothing, that's a great perspective, right? 
And, and I stopped. I said, Dad, but when can we actually use these lessons? I'm so sick and tired of these lessons. Like, I'm so sick and tired of <laughs> getting broken down. Now, this was an earthly broken down. This wasn't like a spiritual brokenness here, okay? But it felt really big at the moment. And I remember really specifically, because my dad was always very encouraging with other challenges that I had. I think, you know, like you read in books, and they talk about this character that says, you know, he's, you know, like he answers the question, but he's got this like far away look in his eyes, and you know that he's really thinking of something else, right? And this was kind of one of those moments, because I feel like my father answered, but I don't think he was thinking about me at all. Because I said, Dad, when can I stop learning? When can I just use it? And I don't have to go through this process anymore. And he said, never. That's not what our job is here. And some of you might think, that's kind of harsh. Right? That's a tough place to be. Like, emotionally, I'm, I'm, I'm really upset. I'm, I'm an emotional. But he didn't lie to me. He told me the truth. This side of heaven, brokenness, is every bit a part of our calling as, as the good stuff. But let's keep moving. Last one, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Do you know what that means, without reproach? Um, without reproach. So what this is saying is that I can ask God for wisdom, and God not only is he going to give it to me, he's also going to give it to me in, in more than I would have expected, meaning more wisdom than I really could have planned for. Um, and then not only that, when I waste it, as fortunately I do, he's willing to give it to me again? Like, that kind of seems like a silly investment, doesn't it? Like, anybody here that, that does investments or understands how that works, like, oh, okay, you're asking me for this, but I'm going to give you more, and then you go and waste it. I'm not going to come back and give you more again. Like, this is not a human concept. This is not an earthly concept. This is a concept that is only divine in the sense that he not only will give us wisdom when we ask for it, he will give it to us generously, and when we fall short of his measurement, he's going to give it to us again. Now, wisdom in this case isn't just knowing the right decision to make. It isn't just knowing the right uh, turn to take so that we can have a shorter trip on our way to work that we have in order to avoid the construction. It isn't just the smartest way to go about building a resume so that we can have a future of financial sustainability. Wisdom is so much more than that. Um, a concept I'd like to introduce. Now, I want to take, uh, take away from the scripture, and this is where I'm going to tell you, like, in, and this is a little bit more of an observation, right? So in my observation of scripture, in my observation of, of what I've been through in my life, I want to break down for you a concept that I would call spiritual wisdom, um, and it looks something like this. When, when we live our life in accordance with some of the prayer that we've seen here, meaning to glorify God, to honor God, to do so in his name, to glorify God through glorifying his son, when we choose and make choices in that way, God allows us the privilege of being broken. He brings to our awareness the opportunity to serve, the, in fact, necessity to serve. Again, this conviction even more so now after, thank you again, Janine, for sharing the, the and I, I want to say insane, like it's hard, for me to, it's hard for me to understand because it's so far outside of my experience, 
the ways that people have needs, and, and now my awareness has been woken up. I, I can't pretend like I don't know about that anymore. In the same way that when I was walking the streets of Philippines, I will never forget what I saw. My awareness has been opened. That light has been turned on. The door has been opened. I will never again be able to forget what I've seen. My awareness has been made to that circumstance and that situation. Now, the problem in this scenario, and this is oftentimes where so many people find themselves turning around and all they see is this empty toolbox. All they see is their own lack, their own inability, the barriers that they have. In fact, I've, I've, uh, uh, Roger shared this with me earlier. It was in the context of coaching like, like a team, like sports or, or even organizational dynamics, I suppose it would prove. But it, it says that resistance is an expression of strong emotion. So often my own strong emotions are what lead me to resist against doing something when my awareness has been raised, when my vision has been cleared, and I can now see something clearly. And so in this, in this sort of state where my awareness has been raised, I'm shown my lack and my inability and my brokenness, I wouldn't say it's complete, but my brokenness is so evident and, and hard on my heart, I have a choice in that moment. And that choice is, what am I going to do with this faith component? This, this thing I've been shown. Right now, um, I want to bring your attention to another couple of scripture verses that talk a little bit about the Father that we serve before we step into that next component of what, it, what does this look like on the next end, okay? So just a couple of things, and I'm going to cite these for you, um, and then I'm going to give you my summation, right? So notice what I'm saying here. I'm going to cite them for you. You can write them down, and then when you read them, and then when you study them, which I know you're all going to, right? Absolutely. Then you can challenge me on them if my understanding is incomplete or lacking. But then won't it be neat if as a community we're convicted in the same ways? Won't it be neat when God moves and speaks to our, to our congregation as a whole so that we can be broken in the same ways? So a couple of them. Number one, Titus 1, 2 tells us God cannot lie. I think most of us would agree that that's true. Okay. Um, let's see. Hebrews 13.8. He is the same forever. God does not change. And he will not change. Luke 11.13. He is eager to answer. Now, this portion in Luke is talking, uh, is talking about how God answers his children in the same way that, that we would not give our children something that, that wouldn't be good for them. If they ask for something to eat, we don't give them a rock. That God is the same in that his desire, he is eager to answer our prayers, to answer our calls. Though it may not be in exactly the same way that we, that we believe it will be, in the same way that children oftentimes need to be corrected in their understanding for what is best for them. And so then, shouldn't we then let our faith rest that the God in heaven, our Father in heaven, is the one that knows and sees beyond what we can. Luke, uh, excuse me, uh, Hebrews 11.6, he is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. I think the scriptures that we already looked at with regard to prayer have, have pointed that out pretty well. If we seek, we will find. Matthew 7.11, he is a good father. He gives good gifts to his children. And then finally, Romans uh, 8.28, he works all things together for good for them that love him and are called according to his purpose. So that's the kind of God that we serve. 
That's the kind of God that allows us a place of brokenness that is willing to let us enter in to a space in which we feel like we are incapable of handling. That's the kind of God that can bring you all the way across the world and then show you how you can't do a thing about it. But is that really true? When we turn around and we find ourselves at an impasse with this empty toolbox, is that really the message that we're receiving? Is it that God isn't ready to give us what we want? Or is there something else? You see, when we pray, when we enter into prayer and worship and what we call intimacy with the Father, with the Lord, something happens. Something, you could almost call it magic, except for that would be silly, something divine happens. It happens that's outside of our realm of understanding, our ability to understand. Partially because it happens because the Creator, the one who made us, is the one that caused this to be. And so it's okay that it exists outside of our understanding, but it goes something like this. When we come to the Father, there's this thing that we're called to do. And when we do this thing, it permits us the ability to connect with the Father in a way that you guys might not understand. Now, how many of you guys remember... Sorry, I'm using a couple of different notes here. That's probably not a good sign, is it? I have to keep turning back and forth, but that's okay if you guys will suffer with me. Um, how many of you guys remember this verse, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness or from every unrighteousness. How many of you guys learned that verse when you were a child, maybe, or when you were young, okay? I did too, I did too. And it was really great because I learned that verse and I was like, confess, oh, I did that because that's how I know I'm a believer is because I confess my sins, so now God knows my sins, now I'm a believer, that's great. Turns out, huh, turns out that my understanding of the word confess was a little bit off. And so there's, uh, and here's kind of encouragement to you guys. If, you, if you're like me and maybe not great with details, a really, really neat tool is Blue Letter Bible. Um, there's an app, the Blue Letter Bible, and, and you can actually look up by verse according to the, to the translation that you're reading. You can look up by verse and you can kind of click on that verse. And when, it, when you click on it, 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 it pulls over an option and this option, it says interlinear. What it means is that um, you can click on that interlinear, and then it takes you back to the original language that the verse was written in. And the reason why that's really cool is because then you can learn about the individual words and, and how they were applied or meant to be used. So in this example, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Okay, so confess. Now, how many of you, when you first learned that, thought that was a one-time thing? I know that that's, for me, that's what I thought it was. I thought it was a one-time thing, and that's it. Turns out that's not correct, okay? So, um, Hamalageo. Is that close? Hamalageo. Okay, I, th I think that's close. That's what the, when I clicked on it, it told me how to pronounce it. I think that's kind of close to what it was. So Hamalageo is the word that they use for confession in here. So I'm going to tell you what that means. Okay, ready? So, um, number one, to say the same thing as another or to agree or assent. So we confess our sins. So God shows us our sins. He raises in us an awareness of not just opportunity to serve, but he's also raising within us the awareness of our own sin. His conviction is what leads us to brokenness. So when Janine shares her story about these children, when I share my story about how I was in the Philippines and God convicted me, God didn't convict me about an opportunity that I hadn't pursued. The conviction was that I, myself, had tried to do too much. I tried to put myself in the place of God. I wanted to fix. I wanted to heal. I wanted to bring about a better thing. That is not my job. In fact, not only is it not my job, I can't do that job. So confession is more than just 
a one-time thing. Confession is a posture. It's a practice that we make. It is our willingness to state that God is true. We are saying the same thing as another. We're saying to God, God, you're right. I agree with you. But it's also not done there. There's another portion that says to concede, which means not only am I saying I agree with you, I'm actually like saying like, no, you know what? You, you've actually got a better understanding than what I do. And it says not to refuse or to promise. And it says not to deny. How many of you have you ever either done this yourselves or seen maybe your own children or a friend of yours do this where you're having a discussion, you're having a conversation, maybe even an argument, and somebody says something, and the response is, okay, I guess I'll give you that one. Is that true confession? Is it, is it really true confession? Because if I'm entering into a place of choosing to not deny, meaning, God, I concede that all things that you've said in regards to this are right and true, that means I'm not holding anything back. Okay? So, confession, acknowledging God is right, also acknowledging that I'm wrong and that I don't understand quite like maybe I thought that I did. And then, guess what? There's another part of it too, and it's to profess, to declare openly, speak out freely, to profess one's self the worshiper of one. And then it says to praise and celebrate. How can confession mean all of those things at the same time? Isn't that incredible? For so long, I was convinced I had confessed, and therefore I was saved. And here we go. And we're going to go on Jared's train. We're going to do things Jared's way. Confession is so much more, and there's so much more blessing in confession than simply acknowledging that I've made a mistake in the past. It's literally me saying to the Lord, God, you are right. And not only are you right, you are the source of all right, so anything that is just me is not worth it. In addition to that, I'm professing, meaning I'm saying going forward that I align myself with the truth that you've shown. I align myself with what you've shown me to be true about who you are and about how you've cre created me. And from that place, we find praise. God literally showed us how we can take the negative emotions, the negative feelings, the negative convictions, all these things that distract us, that take us away. We can take all these things, and through the act of prayer and confession to him, he takes these things and he turns them into praise. So I want to tell you a, another story. I know, again, another story. Um, I was told once that uh, facts tell and stories sell. So if you noticed... Most of the facts I've given you were other people's, Scripture and other people's, and then I'm just telling you stories. I'm really trying to sell you on this life that is lived passionately, hopefully, not hopelessly, hopefully addicted to coming back to the empty toolbox, to coming back to the place of brokenness, frustration, to coming back to that place so that God can change you, can fill you, can revitalize you. And here's my example. Again, I mentioned earlier that I have been a lifelong thriver on the ADHD train. Um, if you know anybody that's worked with me, and I've mentioned this before, you can ask Robin. Occasionally, it's entertaining. It's almost always frustrating. <laughs> um, but so, so for me, ADHD has kind of been this interesting thing. Now, I remember I kind of mentioned before about how this idea of like, if I really cared, if you truly cared, well, then you would have done something about it. Remember I mentioned that to you? So, a few weeks ago, a circumstance came up, and it happened to be that there was a lot of history in this circumstance. And, and, and honestly, for years, I've kind of taken a lot of, 
enjoyment in, in sharing my ADHD experiences with people and kind of like, you know, doing that kind of thing. Um, but I'll be honest, my, my armor was broken. All of the walls I'd built up to insulate myself against the hurt and the pain and the suffering that I had, they fell away. And they fell away really hard. I was at a place where I've never been before. I was at a place where I had such extreme emotional pain, it was a physical pain in my chest. I was driving back from Wisconsin Dells, I, that's where I was at the time, um, and I remember thinking, I can barely see, I'm just, I'm sobbing, um, I can barely see, and it hurts so bad. And I just want it to be done, I want it to be over with. And in that place, God spoke to me. And so I, I went and did what you're probably not supposed to do. I went to pick up my phone, and I was going to text a couple of people. Those people that when I have a problem, I say, guys, I need some help. Obviously, my wife's a part of that. But, so she's not a guy. That's why I clarified what that is. Um, but, so, guys, I need some help. Please pray for me. And then God spoke again. Again, not audibly. And God spoke again, and I heard him, as I have so many times before in the words of Scripture, brought to my mind and my heart when I needed it most, I heard him telling Paul and asking him, Paul, am I not enough for you? And I thought, okay, God, just you and me. Just you and me. Now, let me preface and say, it is not bad to reach out and ask for prayer from those that are close to you. Please do that. Absolutely do that. But I had this thing. In the, in the back of my mind, I had this thing and said, who do I really rely on? When my toolbox is empty, who am I going to? Who am I pursuing? Who do I trust above all other things to fill me up, to heal me, to bring me to the place of peace? And it's the Father. And I said, no, God, this is just you and me here. And it hurts so bad. It hurts so bad that I was worried I was going to crash because I couldn't hardly see the road. I was worried. I, I was. All these things. And all I thought was, no, I'm, it's God first. It's God first. It's God first. So somehow, through his grace, I managed to to pull up Spotify, and for me, sometimes music is a great way for me to kind of like work through things, and so I, I clicked hymns, because I wanted scripture in my worship, and so I clicked on some hymns, and I, was, and I thought to myself, it takes nothing to skip a hymn that I'm not familiar with, but there's ones that I know, and they have scripture in them, okay? Now again, I'm driving, okay? So this isn't like, this is kind of one of those moments where I, I'm recognizing that this isn't exactly the safest thing in the world. But I also know that there's nothing more important than for me to lean on the one person, the one thing that, that I need right now. And so this is what I did. I said, I'm going to praise him. Despite the years of pain, the years of suffering, a hurt that I can't even begin to express that manifested itself so much so physically that I felt an oppressive, sharp spirit pointed at my heart. I, I could barely think. I could barely see the road. And I said, one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to praise God in this because that's what I'm called to, the reminder in James, which the first part of this year I spent reading James every day and that was what shaped and guided my prayers. And so that was heavy on, on my awareness. And so I said, okay. So I pushed play and I sobbed through the whole entire thing. I couldn't say, I couldn't say a word. I couldn't utter a word. And then the second, the second song came on and I tried to say a word and every time I opened my mouth, I lost it again. Not that the pain was there at that point in time, but it, I, I couldn't praise. And it's, I said, oh, it's okay. And then the third song came on, and I got a word out. I got one word out. And then I lost it again. And then I got another word out. And then I lost it again. 
And then the fourth song came on, and I got a phrase. And the fifth song came on, and I got a chorus. And the sixth song came on, and the seventh, and the eighth. And I found myself with a joy that was sweeter than I've ever had before. Because it came from a pain that I surrendered to him. Because I got to the toolbox, and I said, God, I can't handle this. For years, I've tried to do this on my own. I don't know how to do it. It hurts so bad, I have no other option. And in the most intense emotional pain I've probably felt my entire life, in fact, I would say that easily, it became joy. It became a literal praise. And when I read the definition of the word confession, I see now why that's true in ways I didn't understand before. Because the word confession itself is its own progression of prayer. We go from simply saying, I agree with you, God, to then saying, not only do I agree with you, but you are God, I concede all to you. And then we say, I profess and speak openly that you are the one that I need, and from that, praise comes from the heart, comes from the lips. So, my first question to you earlier today was, when's the last time that you were broken? My, my kind of last question for you today is, when's the last time that you truly confessed? That you truly stepped forward and said, God, not only are you right because you're God, but you're so right, I don't have anything to say against anything that you said. And not only can I not say anything against God, I declare that I will choose you, choose your truth, choose your word, choose your path. And from that, found praise. That is, that is, that is my encouragement for you today, is not to avoid pain because pain is bad. But understand that pain fits within what God has for us sometimes. Now, you don't have to trust me on this. Look to the promises that we find in Scripture about how God loves us and how God cares for us and how he's eager to be there for us and how he's eager to give us wisdom. And when he gives us wisdom, he gives it generously without reproach. And you see a loving God that is simply waiting for you to turn to him. Use confession. Use a statement to say, I, I agree with you, God, with who you are, with what you said, and all you've shown. Use those things. And in those things, our intense emotional pain, our intense baggage, the barriers that we have, all of those things, they fall away, they melt away, because the darkness cannot abide the light. He is our light. And that empty toolbox, that becomes a pathway to greater knowledge and, and epignosio, if I'm saying that right, to greater knowledge of who God is. So he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you there. Do not run from brokenness. There's this phrase, push into brokenness, which sounds like you want to like push into feeling miserable. That's not what I'm talking about. Speak the truth. Use scripture. Speak the truth. So as we transition out of this and into, commun into communion, I just want to encourage you guys um, and again, as a, as a church, we practice open communion here, which means that all are welcome uh, to participate in that and partake in that. There's also the biblical encouragement that, um, that if we have an issue with a brother or sister, that we should bring those things out before we can uh, participate clearly in that. So if you 